Amen. 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 You may go ahead and have a seat. It is nice to see you this morning, as it's always nice to see you on Sunday mornings. And I've got to be honest some, with, about something right away here. I have no idea what heaven is like. I've, I've never been. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still waiting. I'm not in any great rush, but I'm still waiting. I have no idea what heaven is like. I can say that I am looking forward someday to seeing God the Father, Jesus the Son, Holy Spirit face to face. That'll be great, won't it? Like, that's something to look forward to. I got to get that out of the way and tell you that's what I, like, with, with seriousness look forward to. But would you humor me for just a moment on the stuff that I hope about heaven that doesn't actually matter whatsoever? Will you, will you humor me for just a moment? Like, what I, hope, what I hope it's like when I get there. As soon as I get there, I hope that I'm given a warm greeting, a nice hug, and a plate of smoked ribs. <laughs> like, I'm... I'm wondering as I'm giving this whoever a hug, where's my ribs? I'm, look, I'm looking for some perfect smoked ribs, okay? And I'm going to sit there and enjoy those just to kind of get acquainted and then go on the welcome tour of heaven. And as I'm walking through the welcome tour, whoever's guiding me along, I'm going to enjoy a nice basket of perfectly juicy in-season peaches. <laughs> peaches are always in season in heaven, Right? And you're walking around, and and thank you for humoring me here and understanding that I'm not being serious, but this is the stuff I think about when I'm overtired. (laughs) Um, In heaven, it's like 22 degrees, 22 degrees. It's it's perfect temperature. It's like a Saturday morning, because on a Saturday morning, if you're not doing shift work, you can sleep in and just relax and get up and saunter through the morning. It's, there's no wind whatsoever in heaven. It's nice and sunny in heaven, I'm convinced. There's no rain. That's the stuff that I think about when it comes to heaven. But I will say, and I'm sure you thought the same thing yesterday morning as well, didn't it feel like a little piece of heaven last yesterday morning when you looked out the window and saw the rain? Didn't it seem like, thank you, Lord. So disregard everything I said about heaven. I had to get to the rain and heaven part somehow, but that's, that's my gift to you this morning, my unserious <laughs> thoughts about heaven. But that rain yesterday, as heavenly as it seemed, I don't know about you. I don't know that the word necessarily came to my mind as I was looking at the rain, but the sentiment came very clearly of hope. Did it not? Hope that God is up to something that we as humans simply cannot be in all our striving and in all our efforts. He is the one who is on the scene and he is the one who is working. And from that, I would like to take a few moments this morning to talk about hope and see if we can talk through a story together from John chapter 4. I'm barely going to even give you any time to open your Bibles. You can do so, but we're jumping right in here because we've got some ground to cover. From John chapter 4, this is Jesus beginning at verse 43, after two days he left for Galilee, talking about Jesus. Verse 44, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine, his first miracle. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, 
he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. So I want to just expand on what we're seeing here a little bit. This guy, this official, he was an officer in King Herod's service. He was a powerful man. People were responsible to him. People answered to this man. We don't know a ton about him, but he held some sort of office. He was important, and chances are he knew it. And this guy had traveled from Capernaum to Cana, which it was about 35 kilometers, like basically from here to Pubnico if you're going along the highway. That's a decent haul back then, especially if you're going through that rocky and mountainous terrain in Galilee. So this guy has made quite a walk. And if you're here in this day and age, you're going from Canada to Capernaum, well, think about all those communities, all those different kinds of Hebrew you could hear on the way. You could hear like Wedgeport Hebrew. You could hear, you could hear uh, Amiro's Hill Hebrew, Eelbrook Hebrew, Pomnico Hebrew, right? You can hear all these different kinds along the way. It's quite a journey for this man as he's going to Jesus. A powerful Roman official arrives on the scene in Cana, goes to Jesus, a Jew, and begs him. Powerful Roman officials, they don't beg anybody. And so if you are on the outskirts, if you're on the peripheral of what's going on here, and you're seeing this Roman official begging Jesus for something in this interaction, you are turning and you are paying attention to what is going on in this moment between Jesus and this man. Verse 48 Unless you see Jesus talking, unless you, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Now it could seem that, the, that Jesus is being pretty harsh toward this Roman official when the first words out, out of his mouth are, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. But Jesus was in a place. His experience in Galilee was that these people loved him for all his magic tricks, basically. They loved him for all his miracles, all the cool stuff that he could do. There was a crowd. There would always be people following Jesus because they wanted to see the really neat thing that he was going to do next. That was just about the sum of what they cared about when it came to Jesus. That was what they focused on. So Jesus isn't downplaying the official here. He's more just speaking perhaps to anyone who's listening, saying, folks, all you want is to see the latest miracle that I'm going to do. He's just kind of setting the scene for what's happening in this interaction. But this official, on the other hand, he has a different attitude when it comes to Jesus. First of all, with the way he addresses him. He calls Jesus, sir. And again, as someone who would have commanded respect just by his presence in a place, this Roman official showed respect for Jesus. Tells us something about what he thought of him. And this official, he didn't come in and throw his weight around. His stature as a powerful man meant nothing in this moment. When you're begging Jesus for something, your resume doesn't mean a thing. It was an equal playing field with everyone else all of a sudden. He didn't try to earn or bargain for the help of Jesus. He just asked in desperation. This was his only hope for his son who was sick. Lord, Will you come and heal my son? And then we get verse 50. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. Go, your son will live. 
That's good news. We can look at this, we can look at this passage quickly if you're scanning through it and say, all right, Jesus does it again. And verse 50 continues and it says, the man took Jesus at his word. He believed him and departed. Good stuff. The hope paid off. The, the Roman official and his son, they will be reunited probably tomorrow night. It'll be a happy hug. The son is well again. Everything is good. We can close that story and we can move on to the next one. But I want to stop there for just a few moments because this official was a man who for all of his make it happen power and ability, he had reached a moment where even he was empty handed. He had a deep concern for his son and there wasn't a thing that he could do about it. Nothing. He was desperate at this point. And I believe that that is a moment that you and I, over the last seven days or so, have felt over and over and over again as we have watched the updates on these fires burning. Out of control. Wanting to do something. Wanting to be able to do anything we can to make this situation better. Maybe we're giving some food to help those in need or, or seeing how we, can, how we can help with people who are displaced from their homes. Anything at all. But at the end of the day, when it comes to stopping these fires, you and I are left with this. Powerless. Not a thing to be able to do. And I think that is a situation, that is a moment that you and I are probably very familiar with at various points and situations in our own lives. Moments where you care deeply about something. Something is off, something is wrong, you know it needs to be fixed, and for as much as we have the ability, that's where we fall short. And we can't do a thing about it. That's not an enjoyable feeling at all. And so in faith circles like this one, these are moments that we talk about and we always encourage ourselves to pray. We encourage ourselves to pray. Come to Jesus. Bring our requests to him. Ask other people to pray with us. Ask for a miracle. Ask for help. Ask for Jesus to change something. And if you pray hard enough, or if you get enough people praying with you in your corner about whatever the thing is, or if you make a deal with God and say, God, if you do this, I will follow you so much better than I ever have. If we do all these things just right, it'll work out. And I know it's obvious, but it's worth saying, in those moments, we come to Jesus because we've got something that we want him to do. And our source of hope, our hope in those moments is that he will do the thing we ask him to do. We lay it out on the line. We say, Jesus, will you please, have you done this? Maybe today, maybe yesterday, maybe a couple of months ago. I don't know what the thing would have been, but Jesus, will you please? And please hear me when I say this. This is a good thing. It is good. It is scriptural to bring our request to Jesus. It is proper and right and good. That's what the official did. And Jesus looked at him and said, yes, Happy ending. Hope worked out for this official. The hope that he walked to Jesus with worked out for him. But back up for one moment. Let's back up again to the first word that Jesus offers when this man asked him to come and heal his son. When Jesus said in verse 50, go to the official, it was actually a no to what the official asked. 
Because remember, the official had looked at Jesus and said, Sir, will you please come with me? My son is sick. I would like you to heal him in my home. I would like you to heal him where I come from. And Jesus did not go with him as he asked. He didn't say yes to the very specific prayer request. And folks, I have to be honest. This today is where my heart breaks so often. Because in those kinds of moments in our lives, there is often a fallout where we offer a very specific request. You have things you hope for, right? Right? You guys got to give me something this morning. I know you're all like 55 feet away from me, but you got to give me something. You have something you hope for? Yes, for sure. Everyone does. So do I. We have things that we dream, things that we plan on, goals that we set in life, things that we want to have happen, we hope will happen so that life will be good, right? This is a natural part of being human. These are some of the things that we do. And then we understand along that same journey is that life gets rattled sometimes, doesn't it? Life gets rattled. Sometimes things fall apart. Sometimes the unplanned in life hits. A good thing in those moments is when we decide in the fire, in what's going on right then, that I'm going to trust Jesus. Those are good, that's a good decision in those moments. And so like the official, you bring the request to Jesus. Jesus, I'm going to trust you with this thing. Will you please? You ask him to do it. You hope he will do it. And sometimes his response, sometimes his response is, isn't what you hoped for. Sometimes we trust him. Sometimes we muster up all we can in prayer. Sometimes we are desperate and we beg and we plea. And sometimes the tragedy still hits. Sometimes the unplanned still hits. Sometimes the thing doesn't just fall apart. Sometimes it absolutely crashes. And this is the moment where the journey with Jesus ends for so many people. It's where so many people say, I'm out. It's where so many people say, forget it, I'm done. It's not worth it. It didn't work. I've lost hope. It's a very common thing. And my heart breaks when someone says they are done. Because Jesus isn't. Jesus isn't done. We see it right here. The first word could have been potentially discouraging for that official, but Jesus wasn't done here. He had great news for the official. He said, go, your son will live. He gave him what he wanted. Jesus just had a different way. He didn't have to go. It was not required of Jesus, who he was in all his power, that he physically go to the place, travel with the man, and physically lay his hand on the boy's shoulder and say, be well. Jesus didn't have to do that. When he said, your son will be well, he wasn't just declaring something that would be someday. He was speaking powerfully in that moment. He was speaking powerfully right then, declaring, your son will be well, and the power going out from him saved that young boy's life. This is a dynamic moment, whether those around realized it or not, what was happening at that precise time. And so the official, he had hope that Jesus would help, and Jesus did, but Jesus changed the hope. He does that. Jesus changed the hope. It went from the official walking to, walking to Cana and hoping along the way, man, I really hope Jesus will do this thing, to him walking back home 
to Capernaum and saying, I really hope that what Jesus said is true. Do you hear the difference there? Because the first thing is, I hope that Jesus will do the thing I want. And the second is placing trust in who Jesus is. There's a great, enormous difference between those two mindsets. Why does this matter? Because without going all the way down the why does God let bad things happen road, sometimes bad things do happen, don't they? And usually you and I don't get much of a say in the why or the when or the how. I have said for years, my 12 years of living in southwest Nova Scotia, what many of you have been saying for decades, that it is awfully good to live in southwest Nova, is it not? It's awfully good to live here. If you, can, if you spin that globe and, and you're looking all around for a pretty, pretty good spot to live, this is awfully high on the list as far as circumstances go. There's not a whole lot that gets at us. We don't have earthquakes. We don't have floods. We don't have tornadoes. We don't have, like, all, the, all kinds of things. There's so much that we avoid. It is good to live in southwest Nova because nothing can touch us, right? Until it does. Until it does. And that's not to turn our backs on southwest Nova. I love it here. You love it here. We wouldn't change that. But every now and then in life, the circumstances present you and I with a place where we have to, where we can't help but wonder, now what and where do we go from here? And yet, despite a hurting and broken world that you and I live in, and a much more hurting and much more broken Southwest Nova than it was a week ago, God is still good. God is still good. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus did a good thing for this hurting man and his dying child. He did a really good thing. He displayed outwardly that he is good. That's a taste of who he is and that's a taste of what he does. And so we all get to choose where our hope lies as a result of what we see from Jesus. We have a choice. We get to choose if we place our hope in a broken world or if we get to choose, we get to choose if we place our hope in the world's savior. And the official was presented with that choice. He hoped that Jesus would go with him and that wasn't happening. And so in that moment where Jesus said, go, your son will live, the official decided that he was going to believe. He took him at his word. He came with his hope. He walked away with a new hope. And let's imagine for just a moment this official walking away. He's going on that journey back to, back to Capernaum, easy to see his son. Can you imagine what he was thinking? What's going through his mind, do you think, as he is making that journey back toward his home? He's thinking, man, I hope that what Jesus said is true. Maybe he's fighting a little bit of doubt. Maybe he's fighting a little bit of worry. Did, did he actually mean it? Is this actually possible? But at the same time, it says he took him at his word. So certainly there were moments for this official along the journey where he's wondering, how in the world did this Jesus, who I just expected would be able to put my, his hand on my son's shoulder and heal him, how can he do it from a distance? How much power does he have? How did he know what was going on? How did he know exactly where to send that power? How, 
How incredible is he? You see the picture of who Jesus is is growing in this man's mind from this very narrow, significant but narrow view of if he comes, he can do it, to maybe he can do anything. Can you see how those are two different sources of hope? Can you see how they are not the same thing at all? That Jesus wants to blow the doors off what you and I think is possible because we tend to view like this when he is fully capable of doing this? That is absolutely what he's up to in each and every one of our lives. And so you might look at this. You might look at this story and say, well, whatever. Like, the official got what he wanted. Lucky him. Congratulations. I'm glad for him. While your stuff is still falling apart. I have been there before. And if you're not there right now, you probably will be at some point. That sort of feeling. This is why you and I really need a hope that is a sure thing when life is hitting hard. We need a hope that is a sure thing. And sometimes that sure thing is a clear yes to a desperate prayer. And God does that sometimes, does he not? And we give him every bit of thanks, as we should, when he does the thing, because he is the one who gets the credit, because he is the one who can do it alone. He should get the praise every time. But he has already given us so much that sometimes you and I tend to leave on the table a little bit. He has given us so many promises. Verses 51 to 53. While he was still on the way, the official, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And this is a huge moment. Verse 53. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. It clicked for the man. It clicked for his household. What Jesus promised happened. And so the hope that Jesus, out of himself, out of who he is, sent this official with, that hope didn't fail. And when Jesus sends you and I with a promise from himself, a reflection of who he is, that hope never fails. I've told this story before, but in a lot of ways, we're a brand new church since the last time I told it. So humor me if you've already heard it once. About four years ago, five years ago, just about, my oldest son, Levi, was starting to have these moments where he would, like, they looked like panic attacks. Like, he would clench his fists and he would shake, and we'd just try to get him calmed down. Eventually, we could. He'd also have moments where he'd be looking around the house and he'd say, I don't know where I am. And I'd say, stop it. You're home. You know exactly where you are. But these, happen, these moments began to happen with increased frequency and, and intensity and to the point where they were happening all the time. And so we thought we should probably go and get him checked out. And so we got an appointment booked at the IWK. And on a Friday afternoon, we were given the word that Levi was diagnosed with epilepsy. These were seizures that he was having. Not the grand mal ones where you fall on the floor, but... Petite mal is what they're called. And when you hear the word epilepsy, I don't know about you, I went blank. And then as soon as I recovered from that, my mind went to the worst. And I won't bother listing all the worst things because I'm sure your mind could get there as well when you hear that word. We came home with him and they kept happening more and more and more. And... And to the point where there were like 50 of them in a day. 
waking him up in the night, and he was so exhausted because his, he was either tense from the seizures happening or coming down off of them and recovering from them. And, oh, and I was so mad. I was ripping mad. I don't recall ever being as angry as that because I couldn't do a darn thing to help him. And oh, we, I, I'm convinced I was useless in that stretch. And we had so many people praying and so many people encouraging us, and I will forever be thankful for that. And within a, uh, and within a few weeks, whatever medication he was on worked, which never happens. And within a few weeks, his seizures were completely gone, and he hasn't had one since. That's like four years ago that he's been seizure-free. And I'm so thankful for that, but that's not actually the point of what I'm trying to tell you. The point is that during that stretch of time when I was so angry, I left so much on the table. I left so much that God has offered for me unused. It says in Philippians verse four, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it says, Do not be anxious about a thing, but in everything, with prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That's... that's that's the instruction. The payoff is this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And he promised me that. And I didn't take him up on it. Because I was looking only at the Jesus, will you do the thing? And I wasn't looking for even a second at the Jesus, who are you right now, as I need you. And I wish I had. Oh, I wish I had. But I can tell you, as slow of a learner as I may be, over the last few years, those verses, those two verses come to my mind all the time. All the time. And folks, I can tell you that in moments of desperation, in moments of now what? In moments of how does this turn around? When those verses come to mind, and I'm actually cooperative with God sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, in the moments where I bring the request to him, and in the moments where in that same, as it's instructed, I give him thanks for what he did that time and how he was faithful and how he saved us here and how he provided and how his word is true and how he is, and how he is faithful and I can count on him. When I give him thanks for these things, folks, the verse is true. The peace is real. Not because I figured out the formula. It's because of who he is. It's because this is what he does and this is what he's promised us. So, I leave so much on the table when I'm looking for the thing. And it's not bad to look for the thing. But Jesus, in the waiting, Jesus, in the maybe it's a no, Jesus, in the maybe it's a not yet, always has something for us. You come to him, you don't leave empty-handed. And so I'd like to offer for you what I wish I had taken for myself, and I'm learning to take for myself one day at a time. I'd like to offer you some promises of what Jesus has, not just for Dave Hockley, but promises that he has for all of us. And so I'm going to ask that you stand with me. As I offer some of what is written for us in here. The Word of God, 
lived (laughs) incarnate in Jesus for us. And I can't look at you and say, this is your hope, because you've got to make that decision if it is or not. But I hope you'll find these words and these promises worthy of being your hope. For those of you who are grinding it out in life but are so discouraged, receive this. 2 Thessalonians 2.16 May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. For those of you who have been waiting for something for so long and you've experienced nothing but disappointment, Isaiah 49 verse 23 says, Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. For those of you who are sick, tired, and worn out because your body is worn down, Romans 8.23, And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Amen. For those of you who have grieved deeply over the death of someone you love or fear facing your own death one day, Isaiah 25, verse 8, He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. For those of you who believe in Jesus but doubt your salvation and your security in him, Ephesians 1. And I want to linger there for one second. If you trust him, and the devil's telling you you can't. 13, verses 13 and 14. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And <laughs> And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's, inherit- is guaran- the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. For those of you who are tired of your struggle with sin, the shame you endure, and the constant wondering if it'll ever change. Galatians 5, verse 5. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Someday sin and shame, they're all gone. Nothing but righteousness. And finally, I declare over you and myself what Paul prayed for the church in Rome. In chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't find a better hope. I can't find a better source. We will have disappointment in this life. We will have days where we grieve. But folks, this is my hope, and I pray it's yours.